Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hello and welcome to our Thirsty Podcast. It's great to have you with us. My name is Jeremy Lightning, and I'm here with my co-host, the zoologist. Our guest today is Mr. Brandon Mueller, and uh, he is the uh, one of our teachers at Wisconsin Lutheran School. Uh, welcome, Mr. Mueller. Glad to have you here. Glad to be here. Thank you. So, so Brandon, tell us about your two months in the ministry here at Wisconsin Lutheran School. Well, actually, to be honest, that two months have gone by really quick. To begin, it was kind of difficult, long, long hours putting it in, but now I'm trying to adjust, and I think it's getting better. I'm actually starting to get to know all the students a lot more. I'm starting to really like teaching here at WLS. Starting to. It's taking you two months to start to <laughs> like teaching here. I understand. Uh, and you are married, right? I am married. My wife is Nicole Mueller, and she teaches at Trinity Caledonia. And that's a we point won't, of We won't hold that against her. Well, well, we'll hold it against Brandon, though, because the other day, on Spirit Day, where you're supposed to wear your green clothing, what did you wear to school, Brandon? I wore a Trinity Caledonia shirt. Ooh. I, I lost a bet with my wife. Our ladies played volleyball against each other and WLS lost so I had to wear Trinity Caledonia wear to school the next day. That is harsh. That is harsh. So one of the things is that Brandon and I have started biking on Saturday mornings and one of the things that we were talking about on one of our rides a few weeks ago was that uh, Brandon has a one-year call to WLS. His wife, Nicole, has a one-year call to Trinity and Caledonia. And so I was asking Brandon if he was going to stay here. And he said he was. So now it's permanent. He has to because it's mm. it's recorded. Because on a casual bike ride, yeah. he said. But now it's recorded is... for posterity oh. here. But but one of the things I, th I found was interesting was that Brandon had said that uh, he always thought that he would be in a, in a teaching position, you know, in a country church uh, and, and school. But what did you say about, you know, teaching here at WLS in the urban ministry? I really appreciate the urban ministry just because there's a lot of different souls that need to be reached here. I really envisioned myself in a rural church just because that's where I grew up and where I was born. I envisioned myself just teaching there. But actually, I kind of envision myself more teaching in the urban setting now. So what's, what's interesting then about an urban setting like this? The way you teach is majority of the time the same. But you kind of have to teach the basics a little more and then teach them more of responsibility and things like that. You really have to care about them. You have to care about them in a rural, but here you really have to care. And they appreciate your caring. That's what I love about it. We just had an educators conference at Shoreland on Monday. And uh, were you were you there? I was there. Yes. Yeah. And we were kind of talking about that because there's quite a few of uh, our high school and our, and our grade schools in this area that have a more, um, they're in a more urban setting. And so they get a wide variety of, uh, people and um, that was a big emphasis uh, from one of the groups that they were talking about was just the importance of building relationships 
with your students and uh, showing them that you're trustworthy and that uh, you're not just, uh, you know, some rich white guy who's going to turn on them when you get the chance, but that you actually care, like you said. Yeah, they see that trust. And then you can really see on their face that they do start trusting you. And it just opens up a door of communication and relationship that you get to build with these students, which I think is amazing. And I think, too, for the three of us as guys is that, you know, in this urban setting, a lot of these homes are broken. And, and so they need that male leadership. That's one of the things that uh, I've noticed in our middle school is that we've really focused on having a lot of males in that building. We still have a number of women in the office. My wife is the is the aide. We, our sixth grade teacher is a female. And yet... Uh, one of the things we learned is a lot of these guys, when they're coming into that middle school, they don't have a lot of respect for, for the women. And so you need to have, you got to teach them that respect. And, uh, you know, for us, we have to kind of be that father figure at school. Yeah, I agree. Responsibility is huge in the middle school. A lot of them don't know what responsibility is or respect for other people and that's kind of what we have to teach them and show them and I love being that role model for them. And that was one of the things at the conference that they were talking about too was uh, the the kids will hear, uh, you know, inner city kids will hear the word respect a lot um, but it means different things in different contexts is what what the one presenter was saying and, you know, for instance, you know, for some people it might in some of the contexts where they're growing up, respect might just mean, you know, you have to kowtow to whoever is the biggest, loudest, nastiest uh, bully. Uh, whereas it, in our context with the school, it, respect means something different. It means um, that you're you're quiet when somebody else is talking, and then and then you you speak up and say something worthwhile when they're listening to you and. Um, it's it's it respect can mean different things for different people yeah on that topic of respect i was talking to one of my eighth graders a while ago he's a young man that has shot up in this last year and that you know i'm five six and he's he's got to be six foot or taller now and when he lights candles at church and he's in the sacristy he did this for like three weeks in a row was he kind of bent down to talk to me you know six inches lower and I know he was trying to be funny in the first three weeks. I ignored it. And then and I said, ah, I think you're kind of being disrespectful. But then as we talked about it some more, he reminded me, he said, you know, last year in seventh grade, you said that it was okay to tease if you love the other person. You're just having fun with them. And then I couldn't be mad at him because he was quoting me back to myself. But I just bring that up because what you were saying, Jeremy, is in a, in a weird way of, of teasing like that, he's, de- he's still showing respect to me uh, because he's not trying to be mean. He's trying to be funny, and in a way he was. I think sometimes we take ourselves too seriously. But he was still showing respect uh, by having fun with his pastor. That's one of my uh, favorite things about middle school right now. is You can joke with them. You can tease with them. They'll tease you back for sure. But then you also teach them which, when is the time to tease someone and how to tease them correctly. Because sometimes they will go too far and they say, hey, that's a little too far. You're kind of being disrespectful to them. I know you don't want to be mean, 
but you kind of are, so you got to tone it back a little bit. So, Brandon, what brought you into the teaching ministry since you're not a teacher's kid, you're not a pastor's kid? So what what caused you to feel that calling to the, the teaching public ministry? There was one teacher that I had in high school, my junior year of high school. His name was Mr. Caralfi, and he was my math teacher. And the way that he showed respect and cared so much about all of us, even if we weren't getting it, he wanted us to learn. He wanted us to be successful. And that just struck a chord with me, and that's what I want to do with my life. That's what I went to MLC for, secondary math education. I love teaching math to those that may not like it, but I want them to be successful. Yeah, because who, I mean, let's be honest, who really likes math? <laughs> me? No. Oh. <laughs> You know what? I've grown up my whole life hating math, but I also had a high school teacher who um, really connected and uh, Mr. Hebner and and, uh, did a fantastic job of making the subject matter clear and then even passing on a little bit of passion for the subject. And uh, I still don't say that I I like math or that I love math, but I will say his his geometry class had me thinking the other day, you know, it might actually be kind of fun just to audit the high school geometry class at uh, at Shoreland because, first of all, there's a member of our church who teaches it. And uh, second of all, I just like, I always like the, you know, proofs, uh, like like figuring out the puzzle and, and the shapes and, and the lines and things like that. I, I, I love geometry. That is a weird sense of fun. To audit a math class. So geometry was actually my least favorite math class in high school just because of it being a jigsaw and things like that. And once I went to college and I took more geometry courses and I kind of seeing the whole picture and then eventually teaching it became my favorite class just because the problem solving as well as the jigsaw puzzle there's multiple different ways to solve it it's just so interesting and fascinating and in geometry you really get to see that light bulb moment with the students because they're struggling they're struggling in all these proofs and then they finally get to like yes i got it i love seeing that that's my one of my favorite Mm -hmm. parts of teaching Mm -hmm. that's uh now uh you were mentioning before we started recording that you uh you like music um so uh, tell us about your your music passions. My music passion has pretty much been there my whole life. I love singing. I loved to sing in church as a kid. Then I went to high school. I sang in our choir and things like that in our travel choir. Went to different churches singing. And now I went to college. And during studying, I love to listen to classical music as well as soundtracks. The intensity that the composer puts in it, you can feel it while you're listening and you can just picture that in the movie and i just love that that's one of my favorite things about soundtracks in general you can feel it it brings you back to that moment of the movie so you if you walk into mr mueller's class in the morning he's got soundtracks playing so then what is in your estimation what is the best movie soundtrack that's a difficult question so personally i feel um, Avatar has the best movie soundtrack mainly because of the connection that I have with it it's one of the first movies I ever saw in theaters one of the first 3D movies I've ever seen as well 
And every time I hear it, I go back into the theater and I hear all that. So for a personal connection, it's definitely Avatar. But if I'm thinking of just musically, it's it's probably Interstellar. Okay, well. Have you seen that? I have seen that. It's just a weird movie. I have not seen it. Okay. So, I mean, any movie where you are go into space and then you end up in a bookcase, that's just a weird, <laughs> weird movie. My favorite thing about the soundtrack is you can feel like you're in space when you're listening to it. All of the high notes and things and the chimes and everything, it just works together like a perfect unison. Is that is that a movie about like string theory? Is that kind of what it's about? I think so. <laughs> So well, this so, I'm, is... I'm surprised n- nothing that you've said so far has mentioned John Williams. Are you a big John Williams fan? I mean, he's written so many. Yes, I, the, he wrote the first couple Harry Potters as well as the Star Wars, which are iconic soundtracks. Well, and and Jaws and jo- Indiana Jones and right. It's the soundtrack to any action movie of my lifetime. You're right. You're right. <laughs> action movie soundtracks are great. He does a great job. But I think Hans Zimmer is a better overall composer. Whoa. Okay. Words. But okay. His, I think he did the Wonder Woman soundtrack, right? I think so. Yeah. So, so for example, so the Mandalorian, which is not John Williams, <laughs> but that's that's the ringtone that I wake up to in the morning, the, the wooden flute of the Mandalorian. But uh, the ringtone that my wife has on my phone is the Wonder Woman soundtrack by Hans Zimmer. Is he the same one who did the Book of Boba Fett? I don't know who did the Book of Boba Fett. So sorry about that. Anything else you want to get into or should we get into the gospel lesson? We can we can read scripture, yes. Let's All right, let's get into the Bible study. This gospel comes from Luke seventeen, beginning with verse eleven. This is the uh, one of the historic gospels for uh, a festival of the harvest or Thanksgiving. On another occasion, as Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, he was passing along the border between Samaria and Galilee. When he entered a certain village, ten men with leprosy met him. Standing at a distance, they called out loudly, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. As they went away, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. He fell on his face at Jesus' feet, thanking him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus responded, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give glory to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Get up and go your way. Your faith has saved you. So, Brandon, why did the lepers stand at a distance calling out to Jesus? The lepers were standing out in the distance because they had leprosy, a horrible disease, and they didn't want to affect anyone around them or even Jesus. Okay. Yeah, and so what they had to do is the, the lepers had to live in colonies, and when they saw anyone that was coming close to them, when they were away from the colonies, then they had to call out, unclean, unclean. So, Jeremy, describe for our listeners what leprosy is. 
It it's possible. There's a disease today that we call. Uh, I think it's called Hansen's disease. Right. And uh, it's possible that this is the same type of thing. It's also possible that the word in the New Testament for leprosy could be a whole wide range of skin diseases. None of them would be good or, or pleasant. Uh, all of them would be very infectious. Um, but uh, I already forgot your question. So leprosy, what, what it was? Well, just if it's, if it's Hansen's disease, then it's a, a skin affliction that... Um, one one weird thing about it is that it desensitizes your nerves so that you can't even feel uh, that uh, you know if you if you got an injury or you need to heal from a scar, uh, your nerves don't work properly, so you can't you can't sense things, um, and then uh, it it's really a, a rotting. It rots your 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 body parts right off your your limbs. And one of the things that I was thinking of as I was studying this is tying it into a movie is in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, if you remember that, is uh, Morgan Freeman's character, Azim, where he's trying to get into the city right at the end. Uh, he He's dressed up as a leper, but he covers himself up with horse dung, so he smells like he's, he's stinky, he's smelly, he's rotting, and then he just says, unclean, unclean, and the and the people don't even check him, even though he's got a big broadsword underneath his robe. The guards let him go because they don't want anything to do with uh, a contagious disease like leprosy. Brent, I thought you were going to talk about Braveheart and the father of Robert the Bruce. Oh, that's another he's, good leper. In he's the movie. got a leper in the movie, yeah. yeah I, I feel really embarrassed that I didn't think of that one. I, I don't, see, I'm embarrassed because I don't know who made the soundtrack for that movie. <laughs> Uh, Brandon, why did Jesus instruct the lepers to go show themselves to the priests? Well, before you could return back to your loved ones, you had to show the priests that you were, in fact, clean again so you couldn't infect your loved ones or people around you with that horrible disease. Right, and so the priest had to uh, then declare you unclean or declare you clean and then there were a whole system of sacrifices that you had to do and the priest would do for you before you could return home and be declared clean. And I encourage the listeners to read that because you probably skip over those verses. Uh, Leviticus 14, there's a lot of different sacrifices involved in this of birds and then it, it gets larger and larger with lambs and bulls and goats and so forth, but it's very involved. Jeremy, what set the Samaritan apart from the other nine who were healed? He recognized right away that the this was a miracle that was done for him, and it, it benefited him in a very direct way, and uh, he wasn't in any hurry to get to the priest and get back home. He took the time to uh, come back and thank Jesus. Well, and that's the, that leads to the next question, Brandon, that this one leper returns to say thanks after he's healed. Now, the other nine, they continued on to show themselves to the priests. How can we often be like the nine lepers? Oftentimes, I know myself, I, am very, I can be selfish at times. I'm healed or someone does something for me and I look at what it's done for me. I don't go back to them and say thank you. I just look at 
myself and then keep going on with my life. Going back to say thank you is something that we really need to do. So then, Jeremy, what motivates us to be like that 10th leper, the Samaritan, to actually come back and verbalize a thank you to Jesus? It basically has to be a miracle of the Holy Spirit that uh, works that thankfulness in our hearts and opens our eyes to recognize that we've been blessed in some way. Um, I, I also think it's worth commenting on how um, Jesus is not so stingy that he said, oh, you uh, other nine, you weren't grateful, so now I'm going to take your miracle away. You know, you got your leprosy again. No, he he still lets he still lets us enjoy his gifts even even when we're not grateful for them. Right, and when I was thinking about this, I was cons- remembering back in my confirmation or wedding and so forth. You get all these awesome gifts, and I remember with the confirmation, my, my mom going a, a month later, did you write out your thank you cards? And no, mom, not yet. Because I was uh, grateful, but I wasn't being thankful. I wasn't uh, you know, writing out those cards, thank you for this cross, thank you for this picture, whatever it was. Uh, and the same thing with wedding gifts. But maybe that's why oftentimes we get married, then our, our wives are the better half, and then <laughs> they help take care of that in our place. Are you done? How long have you been married? Uh, let's see, a little over a year now. So have you got all your thank you notes written? <laughs> Has your wife got all of your thank you notes written? Yes. <laughs> How many did you write? Yep. Okay. Zero. <laughs> <laughs> all right. I, I had, we, we had lists. If, if there's a mother or father that's listening to this podcast, um, they would, uh, write up lists of, uh, the thank yous that I had to write and, we did not get off, Scott. I, I'm marveling that you got a, a whole month. What was it? Did you said before For confirmation, you confirmation? Yeah. Before you, you you got a checkup on. Did you write your thank you notes? It was. You you've got this list. You got to get these names crossed off this list. So I was busy bailing hay and stuff, though. Yeah, living on the farm. <laughs> yeah, I really should have gotten my thank you notes. I, I was. I wasted a lot of time not writing those. I wasn't. I wasn't bailing hay in May. Uh, oh. I suppose if I'd yeah done the math on yeah. that, see it, you maybe you should be auditing some math I classes. Could, I could brush up on, yeah. <laughs> uh, Jerry, Jesus said that the Samaritan's faith saved him. What does that mean? Uh, when you look at that word, it is uh, it, it gives the strong impression of what you believed has saved you. So, like you you believed. The right thing you believe the saving thing it's not so much the grasping part of the faith it's more the thing that was put into the hand that is doing the grasping the object of the faith is is what saved you what you believed has saved you it's right. not it's not your act of believing it or trusting it hard enough that that got you right with god right and what you were saying there is uh, the EHV translates it as that faith has made you well, but the Greek word uh, can mean that your faith has saved you. And that's the way I was going to distra- describe this too, that faith is like that hand that grasps onto something. And and yet the Holy Spirit is the one that takes our hand, grabs onto the object of Jesus, closes the hand around it, pulls it back to us so that we believe that he's the one that does all of the actions. 
Brandon, in what ways does our sin resemble a disease? Sin causes us to do some really nasty things to others and even to ourselves, our loved ones. And it eats away at our faith and everything that we believe in. Yeah. And one of the things I was thinking with this, too, is to tie it in with uh, Naaman and his leprosy. And that's that's another one of... Uh, I, I was just writing a class on baptism and Naaman and, and his leprosy is in the homework and you can tie in that leprosy of of Naaman to our sin and sin is like that disease. It just infects the body. It rots it from the inside out. Today it might be like a cancer. And yet you step into those waters of the Jordan River like Naaman did, uh, like we do in baptism, and then it, it cleanses us and makes us whole again. The last question I have on this text is, for you guys is that how Jesus, he went above and beyond showing mercy and kindness to these 10 lepers. Can you think of a time of mercy and kindness of which you're especially thankful? I can think of multiple times throughout my childhood and just my parents showing that grace and mercy. I wasn't a perfect child. I was kind of... Kind of a little devious at times, but I'm thankful for everything that they shared with me, cared for me, the way we raised me and everything. So we got to make sure your parents listen to this so they hear that. <laughs> yes. Jeremy? Why don't you come back to me? How okay. about you go first? Yeah, so two things I was thinking of is I'm I'm really grateful that uh, they didn't have Ryan Johnson uh, direct more than one Star Wars movie because the one he did was <laughs> really awful. Yes, the shining examples of God's grace and mercy in your life. Yes. Yeah. No, what I really want to think of is as I was uh, working on this class on baptism and I was looking for pictures to put into the PowerPoint and just all of the the babies and then the young children, the older children, the teenagers, uh, the students at Shoreland, their parents that I baptized throughout the years, both in Kentucky and in here. And, and I think that's a symbol of God's grace, how God has reached out to these people uh, at very, various stages of their lives. Uh, one of them came to mind. I'll probably use this in a mission sermon that I'm writing. Uh, I was thinking of Alicia that uh, when I was in that first class with her and we were going through the invocation of in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I asked Alicia, when did God put his name on you? And she was sitting right across from me, and she smiled and said, Pastor, I know what you want me to say, but I haven't been baptized yet. And I said, oh, well, let's talk about that. And then, you know, a few months later, baptizing Alicia and her four children. It was a line of five standing in our little sanctuary, standing up at the baptismal font, and in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with Mom, and then Angel, her oldest son, who's now a senior in uh, Homecoming King, baptizing him, and then Aiden, and so forth. And But but being blessed to uh, give that kindness and grace of God to so many people, that was kind of one of the things I was thinking of. It was probably along those same lines for me. I would, I'm really struggling to just pinpoint one, um, but it, it's it's probably something like, Whenever I've been in a tough spot 
and I, I wasn't sure what I was going to say going into it, and I wasn't sure what I was going to say while I was engaged in conversation, and then and then somehow, you know, some Bible passage or, or thought from the Scripture uh, came to mind, and, and I, I ended up saying something worthwhile. And I guess maybe the best example of that I can think of is uh, talking with a, a guy who as far as I know, he, he never joined the church. He's, I think he ended up divorcing his wife, and, and it didn't turn out well. But at least in the conversation, uh, he was very uh, belligerent in favor of evolution. And, uh, but he also claimed to believe that uh, things in the Bible, you know, like the life of Jesus, were true. And, uh, and so I ended up using that to say, well, if Jesus died and rose again, and you believe that that's true, then um, what's the point of Jesus defeating death if the whole mechanism that drives evolution is death? And he had he had to pause, and, and he, we were texting, and he texted me back and said, hmm, I'll have to think about that one and do some more reading. And I was like... I'll I'll take that for a win. Yeah, that that's good enough for me right now. That I, and thank you, Lord, for helping me to think of Jesus' victory over death and how that could be. That that's that's God's mercy and kindness to me. Anything else you guys want to bring up on the gospel lesson for this Sunday? All right. So, Jeremy, you want to get into the epistle lesson? This epistle comes from. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 through 15. Uh, Paul is writing and he's talking about God when he says, And he who provides seed to the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed for sowing and will increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way, so that you may be generous in every way, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. To be sure, the administration of this service is not only making up for what is lacking among the saints, but it is also overflowing in many prayers of thanksgiving to God. By, pro by proving yourselves in this service, many people are glorifying God as they see the obedience shown in your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity shown in your sharing with them and all people. At the same time, as they pray for you, they also express their longing for you because of the extraordinary measure of God's grace given to you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So, Brandon, what's the comparison Paul's making with a sower having seed to sow from the previous harvest? I want to bring math into this one. <laughs> so we are the sowers. And we sow our seed, and eventually they will grow, and they will sow their mo sow, sow their own seed. So the way I see this is exponential growth. I don't know if that rings a bell with you at all, but just showing. Sh I I haven't had a math class in like four decades, so no. So it's just multiplying and multiplying and multiplying, and I and I. See this the first verse 10 really kind of reminds me of why I'm here as a teacher. I'm here to sh sow those seeds and hopefully that my students will then sow their own seeds. Well, you just see the exponential growth. 
in uh, in I, you don't have to know math. You can be from a farming background to know like what do you get with I, one I think seed? There's a lot of farmers that know math. <laughs> just I don't. We, what do you got with the one seed? You've got uh, a whole potential to grow uh, twice as over twice as many. You know, ten times as many seeds, just maybe on one you know kernel of corn out of one kernel of corn, and I, I think it's important to remember that the chapters eight and nine of Second Corinthians are all talking about uh, our use of money to support God's word, and I think it it has applications like you like you were saying for um, just sharing God's word in general with people, but especially when it comes to the offerings that we give at church. Paul is here talking about how um, the farmer doesn't say, oh, I, I better not plant this seed in my field because then I won't have any more seed. And yet, what do we do with our money and our offerings at church? We think, oh, I better not uh, give this money to the church because then I won't have money anymore. And Paul's saying, no, that's not how it works. It's, uh, it's like planting seed in the field and it's going to grow exponentially. Right, you don't have to be a farmer. I mean, you can just be a gardener, you know. And you're if you're skimpy with your seed, well, it's going to be a skimpy harvest. And I was thinking of this with my uh, my fruit trees in my backyard. I've got a couple of pear and apple and cherry trees, and out of all of those this year, I got two apples. Now they're real young; they're one year and two year old trees, uh, but. I've learned that I was skimpy with with the spraying. You know, I didn't realize you got to have a certain spray for these trees at certain times. You can't just do it willy nilly like I was. Uh, you have to. Uh, one one of our members was telling me last week about his father's apple trees, of how they're they're cut off at the top so that you can reach up to the top of the apple tree if you're standing on a ladder. There's nothing higher than that. You bend the branches. They don't go straight up because if they go straight up and then they have, they're heavy with apples, they'll snap off. You purposely bend every branch while it's young, and then you, and you cut off any ones that are going the wrong way. And you take care with all of these things. You spray them. You water them and so forth. But if you're skimpy with any of that stuff, you're going to have a skimpy harvest. And that's what, like Jeremy said, these two chapters, Paul's talking about money. Uh, he's talking about our offerings. Uh, and that gets to the next question. We'll look at these uh, verses 12, 13, and 14 individually. So, Brandon, in verse 12, list the benefits to God's church that would accompany the Corinthians' gift to Jerusalem. So reading, it's the administration of the service is not only making up for what is lacking among the saints. I know as a servant of the gospel, I have flaws. But looking at this passage, I can see that God covers up for those flaws and he helps sow those seeds of which I can't do on my own. And that's comforting for me. Yeah, and so he's saying there, yeah, making up for the lack among the saints and then also... It's also overflowing in many prayers of thanksgiving to God. So as the Corinthians are giving a gift to Jerusalem, the saints in Jerusalem are going to be thanking God for what the Corinthians had done. Uh, verse 13, it says, by, Paul writes, By proving yourselves in this service, many people are glorifying God as they see the obedience shown in your confession of the gospel of Christ 
and the generosity shown in your sharing with them and all people. So, Jeremy, what benefits to God's church is going to accompany the Corinthians gift based on that verse? Just 13? Yeah, just 13. Uh, that there are going to be new believers. There are people who are glorifying God. Yeah. So the emphasis is on the spiritual fruit of faith that's going to be flowing from the Corinthians' hearts. And then, Jeremy, you can look at verse 14, too. He says, At that same time as they pray for you, they also express their longing for you because of the extraordinary measure of God's grace given to you. So, so same question there. What benefits to God's church are going to accompany the Corinthians' gift? Uh, it's kind of a repeat of what verse uh, 12 was talking about, that there will be prayers uh, uh, as a result and uh, also a, a deeper relationship between believers. They express their longing for you. So then, Brandon, Paul's encouraging the Corinthians to give to support kingdom work elsewhere. Well, many people, both Christians and non-Christians, give. But what's the difference in motivation between the way a non-Christian gives and a Christian gives? Motivation for us as believers is we give our gift out of thankfulness for everything that God has done for us. If you look back in this passage... The amount of times they use thankfulness or thanksgiving. Just a great reminder of there's a lot of things that we need to be thankful for and should pray about thanksgiving as well. Yeah, and he's talking about the the limitless ability of God to cause his blessings to abound in our lives. So we give generously in our offerings, trusting in the promise that God's going to bless us with growth. He's going to bless that harvest and then, so now we have more to be able to give for another harvest in the future. Jeremy, Paul concludes his chapter on the instruction and encouragement about offerings by proclaiming, Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Why is this the essential reason, reason for all that we do? Uh, an interesting thought on that verse, verse 15, is um, I once heard a Christmas sermon preached on that that text that uh, how how many of us were thinking that that Paul might be talking about uh, Christmas in verse 15 thanks be to God for his indescribable gift but that's really what Christmas is it's God giving his son to us as a gift wrapped up in human flesh and blood uh, in the manger and uh, that uh, that's that's really that that's what answers your question uh, the essential reason for all that we do is that uh, God gave us his richest blessings in, in Christ. But why do you think Christians sometimes give? I mean, is it to give thanks out of that indescribable gift? Sometimes. It might be out of, you see everyone else putting that in, the offering plate, and you feel guilty about not doing it, and then you're like, oh, it's a reminder, but remember that the offering should be out of thankfulness. And that's why it's wonderful to know, even when you give uh, with the wrong motivations, that Christ, Christ's forgiveness covers even that. Um, and, uh, yeah. Well, I, I just think that sometimes we give because we want to balance the budget. You know, you've been in churches long enough, uh, you want to get this project done, uh, you, we, we got to make sure we pay 
pay the pastor. We, we keep the school open. We have heat in the winter and air conditioning in the, in the summer. Uh, and I've been a minister long enough to know that people like giving to special projects. You know, they like to, to give to repair the organ. Uh, they like to, to do this for the special outreach project. They want to you know, put new siding on the church, whatever it is. But the day-to-day operations, that usually lags behind. And so that's why this is a good reminder, and that's why I asked that question is, we don't give to do all of those things. Uh, we give out of thanks for God's indescribable gift of his son, like the Christmas gift you were talking about in that sermon, and yet all of those other things are taken care of. So the last question I have on this text for you guys is, what kind of offerings of God's people uh, are, are being accomplished, or what kind of things are being accomplished in the wells, in the Wisconsin Synod, through our offerings? What kind of small and large projects can you guys think of? I, at the Shoreland Conference, I, there's a bulletin board of all of the world, the wells' world missions. And I don't know if you can enlighten me on, I remember they were going to an African Mm-hmm. country do you, which one was it it <laughs> you put me on the spot um was it haiti uh, no it's like no kenya or malawi oh yeah haiti's not even geography i just did central america with haiti and that's so i knew it wasn't africa but no matter the place i mean we are spreading missions to people that haven't heard the gospel all the way across the world. That's one of the larger things a lot of our offerings go to. Right. And, you know, some of our church, one of the new churches that we're starting is in the city of London. And you would think, why would we be sending missionaries? I think there's two of them that are going to London, England. You know, isn't that a Christian country? Well, obviously not. They have become very secular like we are in America. And they've lost the gospel, and yet, so we're we're sending missionaries there. I've just as long as you brought this up, I brought I pulled up my uh, one of my text chats uh, with my family and and uh, my brother who was a guest on this podcast uh, and his work with uh, Tell Mission Work, and he is actually in as we are recording this. He is in Kenya. Um, and uh, I've just got some pictures here that I'm looking at of uh, him visiting a local church where they are. They just built a new building, and uh, all the people are are singing and dancing in their in their new facility that they just got. Um, he brought a bunch of uh, Luther small catechisms, small picture catechisms, along with him that he's giving away as gifts to the uh, different pastors and lay people uh, in Africa. And then uh, he's, he met some school children and got his picture with them. Uh, they had never seen a white man before, so he, he was the first white guy that they'd ever seen. Uh, and the word for white guy is Mzungu. So they were, they were calling him Mzungu, and then he was kind of laughing and chuckling and saying, yeah, I'm Mzungu. I'm Mzungu. <laughs> so one thing that a professor told me at MLC is, Urban ministry is kind of like a mission field. We haven't been in the urban as much, and I think that's a good way of looking at it. That's kind of reminded me of teaching in the urban ministry is 
this is my mission and it kind of is a mission field like we have our American Indian on the in the rever- reservation that's a mission field and I think urban ministry can become a mission we, field um on, on the, at the conference on Monday um which of the we had we had kind of a, a whole group session for the first part of the day and then we had breakout groups that went to smaller seminars did, uh, which one did you go to I attended the cultural cultural responsive curriculum or teaching okay so the one that I went to was um, about using our schools and our, our primary care centers for uh, evangelism and how to connect our students to that. And the the present the presenter he he, he preached here once. Um, uh, the leader of the chaplains and schools, Pastor pod, Steinberg. Pastor Steinberg. Uh, Pastor Steinberg presented, and he said exactly what you just did, which is uh, we need to be thinking of our urban inner city. Uh, schools and and mission work as foreign mission as as um, a world missions strategy rather than a home mission or a a local stra- outreach strategy. Yeah. So in my role as district mission board chairman, in the last few weeks I've been working on these kind of projects in Milwaukee. So the urban kind of setting you guys are talking about, and there's this there's a church on the north side of Milwaukee that has voted to close. And you can think of that's a sad thing. And one of the things that I talk about oftentimes with mission churches like this is to get into a, a military mindset that you, you know, you work really hard and you win this beachhead. You know, people have died as you've moved forward and you hold on to that beachhead and you don't want to retreat. Uh, and if you have to, and the Lord gives that uh, beachhead back to the world, back to the devil. Well, that's on the Lord. But if we've worked really hard for that beachhead and we've been there for several decades, let's see if we can keep it. So even though this church has decided to close because they were down like 15, 20 members, uh, they wanted to sell it and then give all the proceeds to the Wisconsin Synod for their 100 new starts uh, in 10 years. But at the same time, they're talking, they're voting to close. Now I've had three other churches that have reached out to them and to me that are in that area that want to keep that beachhead. That's not the terminology they use, but they want to keep that beachhead for their schools uh, that maybe not use the church building per se, but to use that school because they see uh, that's how you reach out to these urban families in Milwaukee is through their children. Uh, I asked this question, a similar question last week in Bible study about the blessings we see in our Wisconsin Synod, and uh, someone mentioned two other ones, uh, and that would be the new Bible that we have, the evangelical heritage version that we've been using in a lot of our churches, and another one would be the brand new hymnal that we've been using here at Water of Life and First Evan, we're using at Wisconsin Lutheran School and so forth, that people are really enjoying uh, a revitalization of some of these old hymns. And we've been using matins the last few Sundays in church, uh, being able to sing some of these, uh, these chants. And people today aren't really good at chanting, but you know, if, you're, if you grew up with those chants, you kind of enjoy chanting them again. Uh, and then... 
this Sunday will be the first time I get to use the brand new baptismal liturgy as I'm excited since I talked about baptism before. I get to baptize a two-year-old Gwen at the Caledonia campus. So I've been the pastor at, at Water of Life, both Racine and Caledonia for a year and a half. So it'll be the first baptism I get to do at that baptismal font in that location. So that's kind of an exciting thing too as we're reaching out with the gospel. Anything else you guys want to bring up on this text? Nope. We hammered it. I think we've got it. All right. So give your <clears> offerings. <throat> go, go to church, give, whether it's you know in the offering plate, when they pass the offering plates around, if that's what your church does, or in the back of the church, you just, they just leave the offering plates there. Give online. And then... I'd really encourage all of you to go above and beyond. Support your ministry at your local church and school, but then you know, find wells and then give to them world missions, home missions. Support the, the, the ministry of, Wisconsin, of Martin Luther College and the seminary. Our last two guests are graduates of Martin Luther College so that Brandon's here uh, as a teacher two months. Last week was, uh, was Ben Reckley graduate of Martin Luther College and now at the seminary because those things, those places don't operate unless you as listeners are supporting them with your dollars. One, th- You don't always have to give with your money. You can give with your actions and you can sow that seed by just talking about the gospel. You don't always have to use money. That's one thing I like to point out. Yeah, and that's what you guys were talking about with your conference. Got to build relationships I was talking to our principal, Mr. Ring, about that today because we're having a difficulty just getting the, the, the students and their families, whether they're non-members or members in our school, in our churches again. And one of the things that we have to do is not just rely on technology, social media, email, texts, even phone calls, is you got to be with the people and you got to build those relationships and then when the people know that you tr- you love them and they trust you, then they're going to be coming. So we'll wrap it up here. This is Michael Zarling with Brandon Mueller. And since we're recording this episode at night, we're also here with Moon Lightning. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wants the water of life take it as a gift. Stay thirsty, my friends, then drink deeply from the water of life.